I think the other thing that I have found works really well for people is finding stillness in transitions. And so there is a natural pause in the transition. And so can you do your mindfulness in the car before you go into work for one minute, three minutes, five minutes? It makes a huge difference. And same thing before you go home. We were talking about presence. That's what helps you be present when you show up. So you pause in the car for five minutes and then you're present. I think about it in a much bigger way, but in the microcosm, that's something that almost everybody can do. Welcome to Heal Your Relationships. This podcast is all about healing your marriage and your other close relationships without waiting for the people around you to change. I'm your host, Dr. Kavita Sun. Let's dive in. Welcome, welcome. We have a very special guest today on our Heal Your Relationships podcast. We are co-hosting today with Dr. Kavita Sun and me, Dr. Erica Bove, and we have fabulous guest, Dr. Jesse Mahoney, on with us today from California. And I personally have a very special relationship with Jesse because for my 40th birthday, I gifted myself one of her fabulous retreats in California. It was an intuitive decision, and I'll share more about that in a bit, but I just wanted to say her retreat has changed my life, and she is so full of wisdom and presence and magic. I don't know how else to say it. So I, that is our gift to you to share her with you, our audience today. And I can't wait for our conversation. So just a little bit about Dr. Mahoney. So she is a physician coach, yoga and mindfulness teacher, a wellness leader and a pediatrician. She coaches women who are successful on the surface yet struggle underneath both one-to-one and in topic focused small groups. She leads CME wellness retreats like the one I did. She teaches mindful yoga for healers, and she speaks nationally on wellness and how to prevent and heal burnout. Dr. Mahoney worked for more than 17 years as a pediatrician, as the site chief of pediatrics, and the chief of physician wellness in the Kaiser Permanente Medical Group. She is a graduate of Dartmouth College, which, by the way, Dartmouth College saved my mother's life, so another parallel, and UCSF Medical School. And one of my favorite aspects of her is her novel approach to relationships. She has been married to her wonderful neurodiverse high school sweetheart for over 30 years. And I got to meet him at the retreat. If you do a retreat, you will meet him too. And she's the mom of three young adult sons and a new grandma. And we are so, so pleased to have her today. Welcome, Jesse. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat with both of you. It's going to be fabulous. Yeah, it really is. We've been waiting yes. for this for a long time. It's so fun. Yes. Can't wait. <laughs> So, you know, I was I think about the hours of things we could talk about today. The the title of your practice, your offerings for your senior retreats is called Pause and Presence, right? And I think a lot of thought went into that uh, in terms of the name and what all of those words mean and how we can integrate them. So, you know, I was curious, can you tell me a little bit more about how you had a career shift from a pediatrician in your own right with a thriving practice and even being an administrator, a leader, and on the surface, you know, really kind of up and up and up in this career. And then something said to you, you know, I think there's more. And so can you tell us a little bit more about how you shifted to develop pause and presence? Absolutely. That's really interesting that you said that because as I thought about this, it was actually that thought that there's just something more that I'm meant to be doing that was nagging and nagging at me for quite some time, actually. Um, so it wasn't an all of the moment in the moment shift. It probably was a five year shift, but 
I did a number of things along the way. And I had always loved the wellness work. And it had always been that thing that I just jumped into and did those things where you sort of lose yourself. And this was on one of my sons applying to college, my youngest. It's like, what's the thing where you lose yourself and you don't, time just passes and you don't really know what it, what's happened. And that was always for me, the wellness work. And I, I say that I fell into it because I was someone that always spoke up and said, but wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. And why are we doing this in medicine to doctors if this we're recommending the opposite? And how can, you know, we be about health and treat residents in this way, for example. So even as a chief resident, I was advocating for health and wellness. And so along the way, it just became that thing that kept sort of pulling and pulling at me. But I never really thought I would leave medicine. And I will say even I don't think I've left because I actually work with doctors all day long. And I, I'm i just providing sort of a different kind of medicine than I did as a pediatrician. But that was never really my plan. I kept doing a lot of wellness things myself to help myself as a wellness leader. Where the the pivot really came was about five years before I made the pivot, I got to this point where one, that gnawing was just quite noisy. And then the other thing I'll say, because this is a relationship podcast, is that my husband developed some pretty significant depression. And at the time I had all those leadership roles you mentioned, and those three young adults were teenagers. So you can hear the setup. And then um, when my husband had this struggle, it was just the thing where I was like, whoa, well, I'm not really very well. What does one do? And I couldn't find the support that I needed anywhere, especially for mental health issues for someone you love, because it's a challenge. And then I think with medicine, it's also something we don't talk about. And so it's okay. And I mean this with all the compassion in the world, but it's okay if your spouse has cancer, everyone will come up and support you. But if your spouse is really struggling with depression, there's just this tremendous isolation. And so even as the chief of wellness and had built all these programs, there was really nothing there to help support me. And so I had to kind of go find it. And ultimately I kind of had to create it is really what happened. But I did at that point hire a coach who was not a physician coach. They didn't really exist. And it helped me tremendously. She was married to physicians. So I thought she would understand a bit. And really what we coached on was my career more than my relationship, but it was really me learning different strategies about how I thought about things. And at the same time, I got back into mindfulness and yoga. And by the end of my time with my coach, I had done my yoga teacher training, which was something I wanted to do. And I felt like it was mindfulness is completely integral in my mind to the way that I coach and the way that the brain can sort of rewire and deal with a lot of challenges. And so then I immediately decided to go get trained as a coach. Not, I actually had no plans of becoming a yoga teacher or a coach. I just wanted to understand them. And I thought that if I understood it, it would help me. And then I could help others who I worked with in my old situation. But what I discovered is, of course, that I had a real passion for those. And that was sort of my natural place that I just really couldn't not be. And so that was really how the pivot happened. Again, though, because you mentioned the word pause and presence, the pivot happened in a pause. So I took a sabbatical, actually, because I didn't know what I wanted to do, created my own pause. And in that pause, it became very clear. I was like, why, you know, why am I doing this the way I'm doing it? So that was where I decided actually after the sabbatical not to go back. But it was in that pause where I had the clarity. And I think oftentimes I work with a lot of people who are thinking about making pivots and 
if you don't take the pause, it's impossible to have that clarity, especially as a physician and as a mom and as a partner and as a leader, there's so much coming at you all the time that you really have to pause. So I often say that in the pause is where your control lies, your peace and control. And so when we pause, that's where we get to choose how we want to move forward. And I had found that until I really found mindfulness and coaching and I was reacting in my life, reacting to all the things rather than pausing and being able to respond. And so that's really where I made the pivot. The retreats, as you mentioned, I know we'll talk a bit more about those, didn't come in the beginning because as I think you know, I made my pivot in early 2020, not knowing that um, COVID was coming. And they were not my original intention. In fact, I always tell people, I didn't exactly have a plan. No doctor believes me, but I didn't have a plan. I just knew that this was what I had to do and I could figure it out. But if I look back now, the retreats were very natural progression. I did them as a wellness leader and I love them and I love working with people in person. My dad actually runs study abroad programs and did much of my childhood. And so they are effectively a, you know, 30, 40 year old version of a retreat for college students, a little bit different, but I kind of had this lens toward doing things in that way. And so it doesn't really surprise me. And then I always say I got lucky. It's not really luck, serendipity. You kind of put yourself, I ended up in this place that was perfect. And I was like, well, this is apparently what I'm supposed to do. And then I also happen to have this husband who's an amazing chef. And that was also serendipity because had it not been during COVID, they would have had catering teams at this place. I found I probably wouldn't have liked it so much, but there was no other option but to have him cook. And he said he would do it once. Um, now he's done it, what, 14 weeks, but that's fine, right? But but that was sort of, so I say that's a little bit of luck serendipity, but it was also a willingness to trust and just believe that I could figure it out. And what I just love about the retreats and why it's grown and grown and grown is I love meeting people in person. We were all talking about meeting in person, but there's also a way, a lot of the work that you do in mindfulness and is physiologic. And mm. so being able to do it with people in person, we actually can work more on the physiology. And, you know, I like, love seeing people's faces on zoom, but when you see their whole body and how they react to things and you can work with them in yoga, like it just becomes a, a much more 360 degree approach. And so I feel like it's this intensive where you can do work that you might do over time at home. And some people need that. That's why I do both, right? If you have a new baby, you can't be, well, you could be, but it'd be more challenging. Or for some people, just their lives aren't set up that way. But I think I love it as an option. It's also healthy for me. It's a bit of a pause for me because I have these weak pauses, which are not at all pauses because I work really hard during the retreats, but they feel like a change and a pause and a pivot, which for me is something I just love. Wow. That's so amazing. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. And I, you know, I knew some of that, but not all of it. And it's just amazing to me how you trusted yourself and one thing led to another. And even though you didn't have the entire plan laid out, you're like, this feels right. And that feels right. And I, something about this is the direction I need to go in. And that it was a pause. It was during a pause. And I mean, I found you during a pause because my job situation had changed last December and I had for the very first time since I think I was like seven and I'm not exaggerating, like truly time to be and time to evaluate and time to slow down. And so when I, when I heard about your retreats, I was like, I really think this is something that is calling me. And then I talked to a very close med school friend who had done one of your retreats and just was like raving 
about it. You know, it found her at the right She time. just came back for a second one. I know one. she did. <laughs> and she'll be back next year. I'm certain. I know she will. And yeah. I'll be back too. Yeah. I know I will. But I was like, I need to do this. And I, I think I even got like the last spot. of your You did. Story, you did. Yeah. But I went and one of my intentions was to slow down. And as you mentioned this about your father and his work, it just struck me because don't you think that Sagrada, which is one of the main places you hold a retreat, don't you think that that's a foreign country for people who are used to going, going, going all the time? Absolutely. I hadn't thought about it that way. But yes, I am always surprised that when I originally kind of created the retreat, I had in my mind the way we do medical things and you would have the afternoon off and you can explore. It's in this gorgeous part of the country. Well, what I've discovered is nobody ever leaves because you get there and it's peaceful. And it is like this, it's literally a retreat center in the middle of a cattle ranch. So it's really in the middle of something. And so you're just, it is like you've plopped into some other foreign space where your body just unwinds and feels different. So it does feel like a foreign country and nobody's like going out to do other stuff. They're like, they're pausing and being present for the whole experience. Something is occurring to me as uh, Jesse's sharing this. One is it's bringing up the quote of in between stimulus and response. Yes. Right. The, the the intentionality of the pause. There's a sacred intentionality to the pause that you're talking about. There may be unintentional pauses in all of our lives, but you're talking about a very intentional pause, created pause, not a stumbled into pause. And the other thing that struck me, there was this dance between pausing and in that pause going and experiencing the things that are calling to your desire. You were just following the impulses that felt right to you. You didn't know how it would all turn out, but you were following that impulse. But while you were following that impulse, you allowed constraints to actually help you in that journey, right? So when I have not taken an intentional pause in my own life, I have also sometimes used constraints in order to help a goal that I have. But if it's not in the container of a pause, it hasn't felt refreshing or purposeful or like growth for me. And I really love the combination of the slowing down, but also the forward motion of going behind your desires and using constraints in that following your desires. There's both energies in that. It's quite beautiful. And I think the intentionality of the pause is key. And I think for so many of us, that's so hard. Yes. And a willingness to sit in the pause and just let it be. Because I, I I, see so many people, I'm going to take a pause. I'm going to take a sabbatical and I'm going to go here, 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 here. And I'm going to learn Spanish and I'm going to get this extra degree. And, and so um, the intentionality of taking a pause, but actually letting there be time and space which is something we do at Sagrada, but I think it's also, it's Sagrada is like a microcosm for the rest of your life, right? And so it's this idea of of sending it outward. And I think that's actually what happens. It was intentional in the sense that I knew that's what I needed. You know, looking back, I'm like, wow, of course it worked, but I didn't really realize what was happening. Oh, moment. what yeah. was happening? You just knew that you needed a pause and you needed stillness in that pause. Yeah. The presence that you're talking about, being yeah. present in the yeah. pause, not running to fill the pause. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's important because I think most of your listeners are run to still the pause and it's very uncomfortable to start. Yes. Yes. It's very uncomfortable. And I think, you know, sometimes in a foreign country, there's like no Wi-Fi and there's, you know, like there's certain (laughs) things. And, you know, here we are in this day and age where there is a lot of connectivity. 
I do think that what you create encourages the turning away of those external distractions to say, okay, we're going to have yoga twice a day. We're going to eat two delicious home cooked meals a day together. You know, you can leave your phone in your cabin if that's what you desire to do. And many of us did that. Right. And so even when, you know, I had people, Oh, this deadline's Thursday. Like, it actually isn't because I'm here, <laughs> you know, like I felt my physiology changing because yeah. that's the culture that you create there is like, this is the the presence, like we are pausing and the presence here is the most important thing in this moment. And so that's something that I, I learned a lot is like, you can say no, you can turn off that ticker because those things will happen in their important time. And that's just such a gift. And like you said, I mean, we can bring that to our own lives too. You know, we can have screen-free time. We can have our attention in the moment. And that's for for those of us who are not taught that, who are taught to always be multitasking at every moment, like that's so very powerful. I wanted to add one other thing that just occurred to me. Often we think, you know, everything's internal. Like you should be able to do things internally, right? But there is a beauty and a usefulness in designing your environment to give you the capacity to listen to your inner voice. There's that too. And I love, again, you're creating a a microcosm so that people can come into that bubble and then hear themselves feel and think. Yeah. And I see all the time that people come into the bubble. Oftentimes they come in with an agenda of what decision they want to make. And people do make big decisions to stay in a marriage, to leave a marriage, to stay in a job, to leave a job, to whatever. But very often things come up that they didn't know they were coming to explore or decisions they didn't know they were coming to make. And that's also really fun because they get this clarity in that pause that they didn't even know was the underlying issue. So amazing. And yes. vulnerability. I, I had another good friend who did your retreat and I asked her how it was going. And, you know, she just said, like, I, I'm creating space for vulnerability, which a lot of the times we just don't when we go, go, go at the surface level. But then when we can pause and ask ourselves those questions, it's mm-hmm. just it's wonderful. And, and I wanted to share like one of my goals was to slow down. Right. And I was just so used to doing things so efficient all the time. And in, in fertility medicine, you would think that like, oh, you have like a nice lunch, but no, like lunchtime is when it all hits the fan because, you know, you're wrapping up your notes from the morning and the labs or ultrasounds are coming in from the morning. And you really, you need to make the decisions for your patients because then that sets the stage for the nurses. So anyway, so 12 to one, you know, in, in fertility medicine is like the busiest hour, right? So I was like, I want to learn how to eat slowly because, hey, this is a culinary medicine retreat. And I, I mean, people like say I have seemed in the past, like I eat like I'm in the military, you know, and yeah, we whole other topic, medicine and military, a lot of parallels, but I still to this day am eating intentionally. Like I'm slowing down. I'm tasting my food. I'm not multitasking and like something like that, that reset, that has been one of the biggest gifts for me. That is the gift that keeps on giving. It is in my daily life. And like, think of the simple pleasure of the food that we eat and enjoying the food that we eat, you know, it's not just calories and nutrients. It's, it's like, you know, you're a healer. That's what I believe is why you were drawn to do this work is because you went into medicine, you are a healer. You wanted to heal the little babies. Right. (laughs) And, and now you're healing our inner children. And so that healing continues. And I just wanted to share that from my own personal life because that's made such a difference for me. I love, love, love the feedback because 
I think it's so important for us. I'm not addicted to external validation, which I know like a lot of us are. And it always feels nice to, to hear the, you know, you put your heart and soul into something. And so I love hearing what ends up happening in people's lives. And I think my intention with the retreat and as a yoga teacher, I always set intentions, but my intention is really that while it is a pause and it is a retreat, it's actually also much more than that. My intention is that you don't just come on this and then you go back to your life, that it impacts and makes changes long-term and that you go home with a toolbox of things that can really lead to shifts. And that you've used the toolbox in an intense way in actual life. Like it, like you mentioned, it's in your nervous system now. It's not just an idea or an you know, a cognitive, something that you've learned, you've experienced it. Now it's in your body. Yeah. Well, Erica's food um, description is very apt, right? Once you've discovered how great it can taste, I mean, the food is good, but it's also good because of who you're eating with and how you feel when you eat it and that without you're taking time to appreciate it. And once you've thought like, wow, food can taste like this, why don't I just slow down? It almost doesn't take any longer either. It's really more your approach to each bite than the actual speed of the bite. Yes. Once you experience how good something feels, yeah, it becomes easier. It doesn't have to be a drawn out process of learning something. Yeah. Yes. And that's like, as we think about like changing our habits, sometimes we're like, I am going to go to the gym five times a week. You know, like we kind of make ourselves a checkbox. But I think the most profound shift in habits is when we want to do what is right for us. We want to do what is good for us. So we're naturally drawn to that thing. And I think, you know, as we think about busy women physicians and all the different barriers to pausing and being present, I think sometimes in our corporate structures, we're like, oh, we're going to add some wellness and check that off the list. And and then our physicians are going to be well, but then it just feels like one more responsibility. So I think that if we realize that we crave the wellness, that we crave the slowness, like that, I think is the best way. Cause I was thinking like, how can we help more people to find this? You know, I, I would think a lot of people will go and do one of your retreats. Yes. But then other people are like, well, you know, that's not what I can do at this point in my life. Like, how do we, how do we help our people to pause and be present and to get over those barriers to realize that this is the medicine, this is the healing that is the sustainability. Well, I think mindfulness is probably the key to that. And I'm all about wellness as not a checklist because checklist wellness doesn't actually work. And I think that with all respect for the institution, if we make it like, well, we just need to have this thing. And if the doctors do these things, they'll be well, it doesn't work. We know that. And so it really does have to come from within. And so to me, that's the key of bringing the mindfulness, which to me is not sitting on a mat for 45 minutes every day. Everybody can do it differently. It's finding a way into that noticing and that kindness and that self-compassion, which is hard for us, or at least not being mean to yourself. I'll say the self-compassion can come later, but finding a way into that in little spaces. And so I often help people just start with five minutes of mindfulness or learning how to go in a mindful walk. Or one of the things I discovered as a yoga teacher, which you know, because I bring into Sagrada, but we hold our breath as doctors all the time. And breathing actually changes your physiology. And so if you could just learn to take some deep breaths, that's your first step into mindfulness. And wow, does it feel good to take a deep breath when you haven't been taking deep breaths? And so there are little tricks and ways that you can do it. You've heard me talk about diastole. And, you know, if you don't have effective diastole, you can't have effective systole. And 
diastole, and I'm not a cardiologist, but I actually had a cardiology client who has kind of clarified, verified and clarified this for me. We have it every, every heartbeat and it's very short, but it's also essential. And so you can have diastole, very short little bits, might be a breath, might be a moment of stillness, might be hand to heart, and that that can actually help. It's like the first step into it. And once it starts to feel good, then people are like, wow, I think I'll breathe a little bit more. Maybe I will spend a little bit more time in quiet. Maybe I won't listen to, I mean, podcasts are great. And of course I have a podcast and you have a podcast, but I won't listen to a podcast the whole time I walk or the whole time I drive. Maybe I'll sit in silence. And so then little bits of it can make a difference. I think the other thing that I have found works really well for people is finding stillness in transitions. And so there is a natural pause in the transition. And so can you do your mindfulness in the car before you go into work for one minute, three minutes, five minutes? It makes a huge difference. And same thing before you go home. We were talking about presence. That's what helps you be present when you show up. So you pause in the car for five minutes and then you're present. I think about it in a much bigger way, but in the microcosm, that's something that almost everybody can do. And I have seen huge changes when people do that because you show up for work with different energy and then your day goes differently. You show up for your spouse or partner or children and your evening just goes that much differently when you've taken this intentional pause and it doesn't have to be long. We can learn from the heart, as I say, right? The heart feeds itself first and it has an intentional pause every beat before it does something. It's like it matches it, but we as humans don't do that. And I will say that is something I took from your retreat is building in even five minutes of transition time because I know I need it. And it is just, it just has changed everything because I'm not stressed at the end of a meeting. I'm not stressed at the beginning. Like I'm, I'm able to start a meeting. And so this cramming of, of things and time, I knew it wasn't working for me that I didn't know how to change it. Mm. You know? So I think that was something that I, I didn't come into. That wasn't one of my intentions coming into the retreat, but it's something I discovered that I'm just a much different version of myself with that those teeny moments mm. of transition. And I think it doesn't impact, we think it will impact our pro- productivity um, in a negative way. In fact, it impacts your productivity in a positive way. It's just not the culture of medicine. And in fact, I think one of the reasons people struggle so much with this being pausing and being present is we were taught that that's somehow complacent or lazy or if you're not busy, you're not doing something invaluable. And yet that's just a mindset. It's the culture of medicine. That's actually a huge part of why we've gotten into this whole burnout thing. What if the culture of medicine were to take an intentional pause before you went into every exam room and were present with the patient? We know there's lots of studies to show that our patients, we have happier patients and healthier patients when we do that. And so I think that oftentimes it's just retraining our brain to understand that the way we were trained, if you think about it, the way I was trained, you know, we didn't sleep and we practiced in unsafe conditions. And so we've changed that to some degree. We can change this to some degree too, if we all acknowledge and each change it for ourselves, then we model this. I remember having done this work myself and many people came to me and said like, what have you done? Like what's changed? They actually want to know why I must have half as many patients because I wasn't stressed. And I was like, actually, I don't. I have the same number of patients. I've just approached it differently. I'm just showing up differently. And so I think that we can each begin with ourselves and model it. And yes, the whole system needs to change, but we are going to be the people to change it when we are healthier and when we have nourished ourselves, right? We can't do this whole systole thing without the diastole thing. Mm -hmm. 
That's right. And I found too, you know, I, I still practice doing fertility medicine. Now yeah. that I've given myself permission to do these things, I say to my fellow, why don't you take a restroom break before we have our team meeting? Like, make sure you get lunch. Yeah. You know, how can we spell each other to make sure our basic needs are met? And so this is how we change the culture of medicine is from within. You're right. It does start. It starts with us. And yet I think that we need that permission to take the first step. And I think since you guys are about relationships, it changes your relationship too. This must have really transformed because when I go on a walk, I try to go on a walk almost every day and it's really hard to not be doing something useful. Okay. I want to be listening to a podcast. I want to be learning something. At least I want to be listening to music, right? Uh, (laughs) It seems like a downgrade to me, but at least I need to be. Boredom is like nails on a chalkboard. It's so hard to sit with boredom. And that's what I I needed to allow myself in little spurts to be with my own boredom in order to then notice the trees and the leaves and the lovely air. It just didn't even occur to me until I was willing to be with the boredom. I was struck by even slowing down in relationships, the discomfort of what might show up in the pause. And I'd love to hear how did you navigate that in your personal relationships? That's a good question. What strikes me now is that I may not have had the discomfort in the pause. I had a lot of discomfort in the lack of pause (laughs) and a lot of discomfort in the reaction. And for anyone who's listening, who is in a neurodiverse relationship, when you are so different and actually wired neurologically differently, there's a lot of triggers that are there naturally. And they're like little minefields if you are not mindful and slow enough to notice them. And so what the pause gave me was actually a chance to sort of pause and breathe and decide. So it gave me back what all women doctors want, which is control. Control of how I responded, not control of what was said. And also the opportunity, you know, as you get better and better at it, the opportunity to tell maybe a different story so that when you don't have a pause, you just react. I think what I would say is when you practice the pause in places that feel good, i.e. a retreat or on a walk, or when I first got to yoga, I'll tell you, this might be the discomfort. I couldn't do mindfulness on its own. I had to go to yoga where someone was there talking to me and telling me what to do. And I was moving. And so I got used to the pause and the mindfulness in that way. And I do a lot of mindful being in nature, not necessarily. I don't really do a lot of mindful on the mat unless I'm teaching yoga, because for me, it's I don't, I don't, wouldn't say it's uncomfortable. It just doesn't suit me in the way that I operate or get, I get most benefit from doing it in other places. But when you practice this and when you've trained your nervous system, your parasympathetic nervous system, which for most of us is not in good shape, when you upregulate it and take good care of it, then you can access it when you need it. And so then when you actually understand how to like, oh, if I pause and breathe here, and I often will say to myself, pause and breathe, pause and notice, pause in something. And it is being present, but it's basically pausing and creating the space to figure out what you want to do in that, in that spot. That's actually where things get better because when you pause, it also gives the other person a pause, right? And then everybody has sort of a chance to not react. And if you are in a relationship with someone that you love and you want to try to figure it out and you're very different, like it's better if you pause. Now I will say my husband's pause could be 12 hours because his body works differently and that's too long for me, right? So I could be 12 seconds, 12 minutes. That's just we're physiologically different. But I think having any pause keeps me from just reacting, lashing back, which makes everything worse. 
because generally in loving relationships, not always, but generally the other person's intent is good and your intent is good. Maybe you haven't even connected to your intent or you're just, you're not, you know, being thoughtful, but, but generally people's overall intent is good. And so that pause keeps you remembering that and also connecting with what you, your hopes are for the relationship, what your hopes are for the day, what your hopes are for your life or the month or the week or the next hour. And then you often respond differently. So for me, the pause, once I figured out how to do it, gave me a lot more comfort and space and just less of that. The word that comes to mind is just like the chest pressure, less of that. And so that that actually made things better for me once I learned how, and it made things a lot better for my relationship. Wow. That's amazing. And you know, that, that control that you mentioned, you know, I, I, I think that that resonates, I'm sure with a lot of our listeners, I think as I've been doing this work myself, what comes to my mind is it's a synonym of is agency. Yes. And I, I think we give our power away all the time yeah. unconsciously yeah. and that pause, it kind of brings that to consciousness. You're like, Oh, is that interesting? I apologized in five emails this morning. That's fascinating. Yeah. Like maybe I want to stop apologizing for things that aren't even my fault. You know, like there's that sort of awareness that I'm like, oh no, I'm actually taking my power back mm-hmm. because, yeah. and I, I get to choose. And so um, that's sort of a synonym that I thought might be useful too for some of our listeners. Yeah. And one of the things that struck me as well, Jesse, as you were talking about slowing down in your outside of the relationship life, in little moments could be just transitions. And we talk about that in, in HYR too. Like when you come home, even sitting in the garage in your car for a couple of minutes and sort of like grounding yourself before you go in, that alone can change the evening, at least how you experience the evening, not necessarily what somebody else might or might not say, but then you talked about then slowing down in conversations and communication. You can, you have more capacity to slow it down there. And I often think about what is the most generous interpretation that I can have about myself and this other person in this interaction. And I find when I have paused, even if that pause is we're still talking, but I just turn away to get a drink and I take a couple of deep breaths and then turn back, that sort of slowing down and pausing itself allows me to give more of a generous interpretation to myself and the other person. And it's fascinating to me that when I forget to do that, I just barrel on (laughs) with, with my sort of like hurt. I'm speaking from hurt instead of from my intention and agency, as Erica mentioned. It's reminding me to do more of that. <laughs> yeah. I think it's the slowing down that's uncomfortable. You mentioned the pause being uncomfortable, but I actually think it's the slowing down that's uncomfortable until you've practiced it. And I always say what you practice grows. So you just have to practice slowing down. Like we judge ourselves. I'm no good at this. I can't slow down. It's like you just practice it little by little. The pediatrician in me says children practice walking. My grandson is practicing crawling. He's going backwards. That's what they do, right? But when we as a woman physician go backwards, we're like, I'm no good at this. I'm not slowing Mm -hmm. down. It's uncomfortable. And so watching him is like this great lesson. I'm like, wow, he's not discouraged, even though the toy he's after just got farther away. (laughs) (laughs) That's That's right. I think Uh, one thing that, you know, I still wrestle with is just this kind of obsession with productivity. And when I have my list, I mean, I could show you my list right now, which, you know, it's, it's, it's like, I feel so good when I check things off the list, almost like a dopamine hit, right? Mm-hmm. It is a dopamine hit. 
Yeah. And it, I mean, it, like I said, this obsession, this like addiction to productivity. Yeah. And so what are some practical ways for those of us who either by necessity or by evolution have become like hyper productive? How can we make that shift? It Would you suggest like carving out certain time that is non-productive blocks? Like what what suggestions do you have to be like, I'm putting the to-do list down. I've done enough. It is time to pause. It's interesting because as you say that, I had a couple of thoughts. One is to tell yourself a different story about productivity because we know that productivity actually comes from resting, right? Rest is productive. And the more you do, the more you need to rest. Like these are things that I think our body physiologically knows, and we're just trying to override it. And then we get into trouble. So one would be to tell a story that the pause is productive or rest is productive or Mm -hmm. learning from your heart physiology, right? You have to refill in order to squirt anything out. And so I think understanding that, you know, focusing or attention is where we actually are most productive. I think productivity actually doesn't come from sort of people always want time management or efficiency, but it comes from like energy management and energy management is that refilling or it's the resting. And so I think using our smart brains to come up with new stories and remembering that these are just old habits that work really well for other people. They worked great for an intern, but most of us don't want to be an intern anymore. And yet we've carried that forward. I think the other piece is that when you're most of the people that come to my retreats or want work with me, they want more presence. They want more presence, whether it's with their spouse, whether it's with their children. And we know that in the presence is where we find the joy that everybody also wants, right? And so realizing that that is getting in the way of the things you most want. So I would say connecting to your priorities and realizing that most of us, and I know you would say this, Erica, right? Your children are close. You should be your top priority, but your children are second and many people put them above. And yet you are prioritizing your to-do list with the story that it needs to get done. And so if you're clear on your priorities, which usually is presence and it's usually relationships and connection, then you sort of are acting out of alignment, which actually is what you know, but that's why everyone's so uncomfortable and frustrated. But I think clarifying that most of us really want to be an aligned, authentic person. So if you're like, wow, my priority is my children, but I am focusing on this. And then I think the presence is actually probably harder than the pause because it's being in the moment. And so that means that all the pulls behind and all the pulls ahead, you have to sort of quiet them. And that's where one, I think, practice. So doing yoga, learning some mindfulness, but I think presence with kids and particularly babies, like just smelling their heads or feeling something or, you know, there's different ways watching them laugh about the Cheerio on the tray or like Children are actually incredibly mindful. So if your priority happens to be children and you're trying to practice presence, watch them because they know how to do it. We untrain them of how to do it. But I think recognizing that the things that you most want in life, joy and presence and connection, and everyone has a different word, are found in the presence. And so if you're on the to-do list, you're missing out on all of them. And yet we think this to-do list is going to get us all the things we want in life. So I think just connecting, you know, what you spend your time on is your life. So if you want your life to be your to-do list, great. But once you start to realize that, it's like, wow, actually I don't. And so I also have 
come up with this fun way of like rename the to-do list because can it be a want to-do list or an aspir wish list or an aspiration? Because then half the things you just cross them off because they don't really need to be done. We just tell ourselves they need to be done. And then like I always say, you do want to pay your taxes because you don't want the IRS coming after you. It changes your energy about, around it too. And so thinking about it, or maybe it's a priority list. And then you actually put your children on the top and you on the top exercise it. And then it's not a to do. You were talking about the energy if it feels good. So making it something different. The other thing you mentioned that just comes to mind is it's about dopamine. So can you create the things that you want, really want in life also release dopamine? You can make yeah. it a dopamine list, right? And then you can have some things that need to be done. <laughs> I think you just have to poke fun with the to-do list and poke fun with our addiction to it. We do it because we feel accomplished. And most of us spend a lot of time feeling inadequate for no good reason, right? But this to-do list feels accomplishing. So you might even make a list of how you are accomplished, all the things you did accomplish or your accomplishment list, like feels different. And then your energy is not so focused on checking the boxes. I love that. So many levels. It's so good. (laughs) I love the priority list because this really resonates because like, why do I put, you know, I have like, you know, personal professional like I have like my different categories yeah. but like why don't I put exercise at the top right mm-hmm. because I mm-hmm. know that nothing else flows and that is dopamine actually if yeah. you think yeah. of it so I'm going to say priority list parentheses dopamine dopamine I'm list gonna check back with you and yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. does that mean I, I love that chocolate <laughs> yeah you can so- put chocolate on there I think you saw what I wrote yesterday I'm all about dessert now you know, we can eat, eat vegetarian, plant-based food, but we should also have dessert because right. it's about pleasure and we need pleasure in our lives. And I also think since we're talking about relationships here, right, we have to prioritize our relationships. Most of us just want them to be good, but we don't yeah. prioritize them. And we want the other person to show up. Then we want the other person to prioritize them, but we don't. And yeah. so they probably, I mean, and you don't, you could put your relationship, but you could also just put like connections probably at the top of your priority list. And so then it's like, well, what are you doing to do that? Most of us aren't doing too much unless we're intentional about it um, or we're doing a course or working on it. But I think that probably also needs to be on your priority list. I just wrote down priority list in huge bold in my yeah. notes section. I love that reframe. If I, I wrote a to-do list this morning and my daughter was not on it, but she's my number one priority. She should be number one on it. Actually, you should be number one. I'm going to just make sure, right? If you're not healthy and well. So, which doesn't mean maybe you just need to breathe, by the way, that's it. And then you can be around your daughter. (laughs) Yeah, it can be, it can be in small ways, but I love that. I was, uh, it also reminds me, I was talking to a client recently and she said, I've been asking and asking and asking my husband since, you know, they had an arranged marriage and she had been asking her husband and sort of complaining about the lack of connection, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so she was in our course and after a few weeks, she noticed that he was coming out of his shell and he was making little bids. And she said to me, I think I'm actually recognizing that I don't know how to connect. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to look at that while he wasn't because I was just complaining about it. Yeah. Now that he's poking his head out, I'm like, I don't really know how to connect, right? And so one of the things that we talked about is even the story of what we say about that, as if that is like some sort of huge fault or, or, you know, negative character trait or anything. Uh It is just a lack of practice and skill. So Uh one of the things that I got from 
and I've been uh, quoting this book, Atomic Habits, uh, recently, because I read it a few weeks ago again. And one of the things he talks about is what is a two-minute version of that, right? So instead of thinking about it as, am I good at connection? Yeah. What if you could just connect for two minutes and ask about somebody's day? That's it. And, and I was like, oh, I could do that. Yeah, yeah, setting your intention to be connection. Yes. All of a sudden, little things will pop up that don't take any effort, right? It's like, if, if my intention is connection, oh, maybe I'll go, you know, give a kiss, or maybe I will ask about someone's day, or I'll ask about something they're interested in, or what are you up to? Like, even that is connected. Yeah. And we know from setting intentions, right? Um, setting intentions actually releases dopamine in and of itself, even if you don't do anything. Um, so, and it's motivating, right? And it releases acetylcholine also, which I can't remember what that does, but it's around motivation and learning and focus. And so if you think about it that way, like just the process of saying, you know, these, this is what I want more of. Usually we want the other person to do it. Right. Yeah. But, and what you said just very much resonated with me. And I think it's something I've learned in um, my own neurodiverse marriages. I was pretty judgy, just saying, I think in medicine, we're all pretty judgy about like what was better and what was worse and the way it was supposed to be. And what I figured out is a lot of the things that I judged about, I have a lot of work to do on myself that I'm actually in my mind, not very good at. And that's not a nice way to say it. I have a lot of growth opportunities in many of those things. And I think we just tend to show up like they're not doing this and they're not doing this. And then you're like, oh, I'm not doing it either. And oh, maybe I need to figure out how to do it. And that like, once we get into that, that's back into our agency and control, right? We don't have to sit and wait. And maybe if we do it better, they'll do it better. Yes. And it can show up in a thousand different ways. Like you said, it could be getting coffee at Starbucks and that person says good morning and you're really present because your intention is connection that day. Yeah. Yeah. And then you feel better. And so why not? I know. Yes. <laughs> this is amazing. So, so many pearls of wisdom in our conversation. And I, I, you know, we are at time. I wanted to make sure that um, if there's anything else you wanted our listeners to hear, Jesse, that you shared that. And also, please, please, please let us know where we can find you. I think it's not so much anything else, but I think I'm going to go back to this idea of intention and that. I think just intentions are incredibly transformative and powerful and we get to choose them. And I love having fun with choosing them too. So, cause I think sometimes we pick the boring word. And so I spend a lot of time thinking about what is it? I think when you say, what is it I want? We feel very stressed. I, it almost came out of my mouth and I was like, oh, that sounds a little, you know, too self-focused, but what your intention is, how you want to show up, how you want to experience things in life. When we start to focus on that, whether it's, around your own pausing or the way you want to move through life or the way you want to feel or the way you want to relate to other people. It's usually all the same feeling anyway. So I, that's one of the reasons, and I know we talk about this at the retreat, is sort of choosing your feelings, choosing how you would like to feel. And in kids yoga teacher training, it's an intention or a wish, which I actually love even more. And these bracelets that we were talking about before we started our wish bracelets. And the idea is, is actually an intention or a wish, what you'd like to create more of in your life. And I think whether that's in your relationship, whether that's in your career, and this is how I got here, right? I knew I had more to do and I wanted to create more in a certain realm that that is really your guiding light or your lighthouse. And so I often ask the question, and Erica will know this, I often ask the question, what would love do is my guiding light? Mm -hmm. Because I 
love is an awesome emotion and it works for patients. It works for the dog. It works for whether you want to clean your house, like would love clean your house, would love worry about the to-do list, would love exercise. Like to me, I always get a good answer that actually motivates me. But I do know for some people in different cultures, the love is also infused with um, some self-sacrifice and martyrdom around children or relationships. And so then it's not a good word. And so that's why I say choosing the word is really important. So it might be what would peace do or what would connection do or choose the word that you really, really want. Like what would agency do or what would control do? Like you get to have fun with it. And I think we've had a lot of fun laughing. And that's one of the things I think is so much fun. Like don't take, we take it all so serious. I have to fix my relationship. I have to fix my burnout. And when we get there, it's almost like a to-do list. It's very stressful. And so how can we make it something different? And I think setting intentions, it helps you show up the way you want. And then you can use all the tools around that intention. And most of our intentions involve pausing and being present, even if we haven't identified it. And you have to pause and be present to figure out what your intention is going to be anyway, what you want it actually to be where what you want rather than what you think you should want or what someone else told us we want. Cause someone else might think connection is a great idea. And we think, you know, the world would think we were doing a good thing, but maybe that's not what we want. Maybe we want peace and quiet. Maybe we want, you know, stillness and maybe we don't want connection. Like maybe we've had enough of that. And so I think being really honest and authentic and the only way that we slow down enough to do that is that pause and then the presence, like to figure out what it is you actually want. And that requires getting out of the to-do list and not looking ahead or behind. It's like right here, right now. But I don't think it has to be hard. I think we overcomplicate it. I'm no good at that. And if you just start asking different questions, I think that things get much more clear and simple. I often ask this question, what would simple do? Because we have overcomplicating brains. <laughs> so that gets me out of like, when I'm like spinning with, with all the choices, I'm like, what would simple do? And it's like, oh, I would just do that one or I do that one next. So I love that, that one too. I use that over and over and over again since you're a tree. And I, yeah. I think this is part of the magic. Like I mentioned the magic and yeah. there's something magical about Sagrada. Part of it is the place. I think part of it is a big part of it is you and Mark and what you guys have created there and the culture there. But it's like this, it's almost this like, once you get the wheels in motion in the direction you want to go, it carries you in a way that that feels like magic. So just a very brief story. So I was on my yoga mat this morning, this gift from the universe. Her name is Ayla. And she said, set your intention for today. And I had like rushed to class again. Yeah, I said I tried to transition, but this morning my transition was not as optimal as I wanted it to be. So I like, get there. I set up my mat. Like, what's your intention? I'm like, okay, self-compassion. I really want my day to be full of self-compassion. So then I get through class, lots of self-compassion in class, and then I get home and I microwave my coffee and it like I open up the the microwave door and like there's coffee everywhere. Like there's like coffee, like it's like leaking out. And I just like had this very gentle, tender moment with myself. And I was like, huh, must have set the timer for too long. <laughs> and I was like, that is like, that is like so not how I would have responded two years ago. I would have like, oh, you're such a bad person. Like, how did you, you know, you know how to microwave coffee or like something like that, you know, but it's like, I wasn't even thinking in that moment, like I need to have self-compassion for myself. It was like in the morning I said, this is going to be a self-compassionate day yeah. because I paused in that moment on my mat. And then it showed up for yeah. me in a way that was truly magical, right? And so that's what I want to say about this intentionality. It is part of your magic, Jesse. It's part of the magic that you're imbuing in the world. I, I would say, you know, come be a part of the magic. Go, go find Dr. Jesse, you know? So yes. 
Yes. Give us all your details. You know, what is yeah, your website? Where can we and find how, you? How can our yeah. people find you? So my website is my name, which is jessiemahoneymd.com. You can also find it if you type in pauseandpresence.com. It will go to the same place. And those are the easiest ways to find me. I know some people find me on Facebook and it's my name. And I would love to have more people join me for retreats or join me for you know, different kinds of coaching. I do a lot of work with parents. I do a lot of work with relationships, particularly a lot of people who are in neurodiverse relationships find me. That would be something I have a lot of experience with, clearly. And then I, I help people pivot in their own lives because I think pivoting with intention is really the, the key. So I would just love to have folks join me. If you go to my website, you can sign up. I, I write a lot as Erica probably knows, but I I just love writing. And so I send out lots of little things to get you thinking about things. And so you can sign up to do that and sign up to hear about when the next retreats are. There are a couple spaces left in the spring and there will be some in the fall. I just haven't finalized all the details. So I would love to meet anyone who's listening, who would love to come and maybe you two will come again too. I I know. Erica and I, We've been talking about going together, actually. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and a plug for the YouTube yoga, right? You have a YouTube channel. Oh, too, right? yes, yes, yes. Um, and actually, I would say for many of you, you know, it's hard to get to a retreat or it takes planning. But I teach yoga almost every Saturday on Zoom for free. And it's almost all women physicians. It started during the pandemic for fun. And because so many people still keep coming, I keep doing it. And it, it's also a chance for me to pause and practice and then they get recorded and end up on YouTube. So therefore, if that time doesn't work for you, you can do them anytime. And they all have an intention slash theme where we explore something. So it's, people always say it's not just yoga. It's a little bit of a mindfulness practice. You don't have to be a yogi. You don't have to stand on your head. I have lots of broken parts and um, I can, you know, so we sort of modify. And the beautiful thing about YouTube and Zoom yoga, which you know, it's sad that we're not in the same place, but it you can do whatever you want. Nobody's watching. And so for a lot of people who have a lot of drama about starting yoga, it's actually a nice place to start a practice. Although starting, I have people who come to my retreats who also don't do yoga and they learn how to do yoga or they learn things that work for them because yoga is not what, that's a topic for another day, but yoga is not what most people think it is. Yoga is really about pausing and being present and enjoying movement and enjoying being in your body and really listening to yourself and learning about yourself. And so if you think about it that way, anybody can do it. And I think that most people who join me for yoga end up understanding that. But a lot of people don't join because they're worried that they can't do yoga or they're not a yogi. And I have lots of people who are like, wow, I had no idea yoga could be like that. So my thought would be try it and just see. And if you don't like it, you don't have to like it. But most people I think really enjoy it. And the YouTube is just my gift to the world because it's fun. I had no plan to be a YouTube yoga person, but I do really enjoy it. It's fun. That's amazing. I actually did not know about the YouTube channel. Yeah, and the YouTube channel is... Mindful yoga for healers, but it's also, if you type in Jesse Mahoney, you get me. And if you are on my email list, you get all the recordings anyway, but there's also the links to find it on my website if you can't find it, but perfect. my name will work. (laughs) Jesse Mahoney. Mahoney. Let's spell it. M-A-H-O-N-E-Y, correct? And the first, the Jesse is with the I, J-E-S-S-I-E, because I often get messages without the I, which is fine, but you won't find me if you Google that. (laughs) 
right. And it's jessiemahoneymd.com. Yes. Yes. Okay. Awesome. Amazing. Thank Such you. A gift. Such a gift. Thank you for spending Beautiful. this time with us. And I cannot wait to connect with you soon. Awesome. Yes, me too. Thank Thanks you, Jessie. for having me. This was like a wellspring. It was a pause for me. Just being yeah. in your energy was really invigorating. Thank you. My pleasure. It was fun. Hey, if you enjoyed this podcast and you'd like access to our marriage repair toolkit, you can go to www.healyourrelationships, all one word, healyourrelationships.com and look for free training. I'll see you there.